Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy, joined by Vance in the front of the Ranger, and Todd Young on speakerphone, and we have our regular guest, Gearman Steve, from, I don't know, Gearmanville. And <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Fatty Z Muskie Products. Check us out, fattyzmuskie.com. Fatty Z Muskie products on Facebook. Anybody that follows me on Facebook would have known that in the first time in the last six weeks, I made a post yesterday. So it's halfway current. Nice job. It was. I had to even text you, Vance, to tell you that I did it. I know. I couldn't believe it. I know. I, I yeah, I had about, you know, 15 seconds to spare. <laughs> that book that I wrote. Oh, yeah. It was like four <laughs> words. It was. It was like, here are baits. Yeah. Thanks. Painted, painted. Some yeah, pr pretty much. <laughs> and I attached three photos of some swim baits, which coincidentally is going to be one of the opening stories of Gear Man talking about the swim baits. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to get some inventory of swim baits. I just gave, well, Todd came and grabbed a whole box of baits. Anybody out there that's on Facebook and any of the musky stuff on Facebook should know. Team Rhino Outdoors. He placed a sizable order. I just got done painting them. Todd's assembling them, so I probably expect in the next week or so, uh, Team Rhino is going to be posted up that he has a um, whole bunch of baits came from us. So check them out. And now I can get to everyone else's orders, which just are backing up insanely. And... Um, but those are all going to be just custom colors. We're not going to have those available. You'll have to get those colors through Team Rhino. Yeah, and I will and, not and paint they're, them. They're some sweet looking. They're, they're nice. Yeah, I will not paint them, so don't ask. It's only Team Rhino. So um, I'm going to point that direction. He has five different colors. He's going to have sixes, six-inch Raptors, eight-inch Softtails, and then eight-inch Raptors, and um, all in the same pattern. So... Uh, check them out. It, they won't be up probably this week. He'll get them this week, maybe next week or the week after. But keep your eye out for that. And we're also on Instagram, Fatty Z Musky Products. What did we hit? 700 followers this past week? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're climbing there. We're getting there. So, uh, Todd, you want to get out your stuff? Yeah, Todd Young, NC Fishing Guide. Uh, check out our website. Do a little bit on Facebook and such also. Vance also takes care of it with the Instagram. Uh, check out our guide trips. Got myself guiding in Western PA here. Uh, you know, just a little bit in April, May. And then uh, Vance and myself guiding up on Chautauqua Lake. And then throughout the spring, summer, and fall, Jared Christie fishing out of a uh, drift boat on some of the little feeder streams of the Allegheny. Really cool trip to trip to try he does a lot of fly fishing but you can also conventional fish with him uh but it's really cool it's a neat neat experience going out there check us out give us a call nice uh gear man you want to hit up your rod builder yeah uh sh fishing sticks and he, he you know you guys have uh st croix sponsoring the show he, he does most of his builds on st croix blanks so he gets a good deal on the blanks and uh if you want to run the custom route and, and start your session like i have uh He's a good guy to look up because he'll work with you and he does great work. Yeah. So, yeah, and we also brought to you by St. Croix Rods. Uh, Gear Man caught us on that one. Check him out. St. Croix Rods.com or something. You guys know it. 
Um, but that that brings up something that Steve. Now, if you're getting a custom rod built on a Saint Croix blank, what makes it different than just buying a Saint Croix? Yeah. Well, for me, um, you know, I like certain guides. I like the grip length. I like, you know, they get some models in the split grips I don't like. Some of the, you know, I like to extend the grips uh, maybe 18 inches versus some of the, the smaller lengths. So the four grips I like to have customized. So there's a lot of different things you can uh, customize to your liking that an off-the-shelf rod will not provide. I mean, I have some of my rods spiral wrapped. Again, it's a big thing in the bass world, but... Uh, you're just not going to get that off the shelf. So when you start getting into the nuance of how you like your equipment, how you want it set up, uh, you know, custom's the only way to go. But the problem is, once you get into that route, it's hard to go back to anything else. So you know, the, <laughs> Andy makes custom out. rods. Yeah, I do. With I, a multi-tool and some super glue. He took about four inches off of another St. <laughs> Croix and stuck it on the back of the one. On the, on the back of my big dog, I added... Todd, you remember how much you cut off your premieres? I think four. Well, then I added whatever Todd cut off. I added to yep. my big dog. Yeah. Because I wanted that the the butt. I like that feel there. I like that big cork underneath my you know my lat and my arm there. Yeah. If you need it extended, I think I got one more cork floating around. Oh, I'm good. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Az custom rods. Multi tooling <laughs> super glue. <laughs> yeah. Pretty no, we don't need to get into that. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I can do is you give me the cork, I can cut it and put it on it. But uh, Steve, can, can they change like the actual color of the blank? You can. Um, now Scott, who owns SH Fish and Stick, he'll do it. But what makes it tough? Okay, you got to you know you use kind of some citric acid or whatever he does. I can't really speak for it, but he'll take the gloss and paint off. Okay, he has to strip it down, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes the matte um, finish of the graphite's a little uneven. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the repainting process. So it's something he doesn't really uh, like to do. Yeah. Um, But uh, there is a a brand of rods that's kind of designed off the St. Croix platform and action. And, um, you know, it it has a similar feel that actually offers a myriad of colors. So you kind of okay. that route. So you can mm-hmm. you want a color instead of buying one and stripping it. He'll get you one in, uh, in this other blank. Yeah, Vance and I saw some guys throwing some crazy colored rocks down there at the Cave Run. We never talked about that. Remember those? They were like neon, neon green. green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Neon I don't know exactly which ones they are. I, I, I'd never seen them. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rod Geeks is the they have a line of musky rods and they come in neon green, pink, okay. you name it. You can get it. Crazy, like you said, crazy colors. And and I'd be leery of having a neon green rod doing a figure eight. But yeah. yeah. I would probably just dress mine up with some electrical tape. I'd wrap it like a barber pole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can get multiple, co- you know, different color electrical tape. And why not? You can. It looks like a you candy can. cane. A straight one. Seasonal. That's right. Seasonal. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, but overall, so, like, let's just say you get blank X. You know, you, you, you can buy this blank, you know, as a already built fishing rod at, at wherever. How do you make it better? Well, you know, I guess where I was going was, does it feel the same, like, the way the rod bends in your hand? The action of the rod, obviously, um, is going to be 
similar. You can't really alter that. But what you're doing is you're slightly shifting the balance point if you move your real seat up and you have, uh, you know, I like to use a little fatter cork. And some of the, some of the other muscurucks have that kind of one and a quarter inch cork, mm -hmm. um, where some of the off the shelf ones just have the one inch. So you add a little more weight, you get a little more balance. Um, but the, the overall feel and sensitivity, besides the balance being there, um, is pretty much the same. The action's the same. And so you, you, you know, in some cases, particularly with musky rods, you're probably not, um, you know, changing too much by going custom, except for just having a custom rod and a neon green. You know, yeah. to me, the fly rods and bass rods, when you get into those, it's an exponentially different product because of, again, the balance. And I have them cut some down to change the actions, and I kind of get crazy with my project. And I really fine-tune those rods because you're doing a little more uh, bottom bait sensitivity kind of thing. Um, with yeah. Musky, you know, if you can't feel them, yeah, you might want to go see a neurologist and feel mm -hmm. with your hands. So. Well, you, you know, all this feel, and, and, and you, you've said in the previous podcast that you like the two-pounder. Mm -hmm. Does it feel any different <laughs> with a two-pounder on? <laughs> Where, where's the, there's no sensitivity with that, so to speak, most no, of the time. At this point, you're just looking for a brute force rod that's going to take as much loading away from your shoulder and arm as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to be like... It, 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 when the fish hits, it actually lightens it up and you know there's something on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, grab the bait, it's not as hard to reel. The, the, the fish strikes and your rod tip comes up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got one. Yeah. There's, a, there's a pain relief in your shoulder. Like, oh, it's yeah. not heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, you know, I was just, I was curious because... You know, I guess if you're getting a custom rod built, how do you even have a baseline of what you know? You know, I'm just going from the musky perspective. Mm -hmm. How do you know what you want different from the rod that you can buy with that blank? I can yeah. buy blank X or I can get the rod with the same blank that St. Croix or name your manufacturer built. Mm -hmm. how, how, do you, how do you know what you want different unless you just kind of open up the book and say, I want a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Well, for me, now I'm going to go into my, again, you're, you're, you're tapping into my illness again, Andy. Thanks a lot. But, uh, I'm a doctor. For, for me, it's a trial and error. I mean, I've had tons of rods modified and made that I didn't like. So you, you keep fine-tuning it. I mean, I bought and sold 30, 40 rods just in the bass realm until I got that specific action I wanted. And once I got it nailed down, you know, that's the rod I ended up keeping. So the musky, uh, again, the musky world, fortunately for how um, you musky fish, I'm looking more for, uh, you know, kind of a balance and comfort with the handle I like and, and that. So it's not as critical. So, you know, there could be a little slop in the system per se, and I won't be as picky about it. But there's been one, there's a couple musky rods I had custom built. I just didn't like how they are or feel based on, you know, casting and everything else just because maybe the balance points off. And they're kind of deep six collecting dust. So, uh Yes, it's hard. You can't just come out of the box, per se, unless you're just going, unless there's a look you're looking for. You know, again, you go back to the neon green or something kind of a yeah. uh, niche like that. But to really get into uh, fine-tuning uh, feels and, and how it works with each bait, I mean, that, that's a lot of trial and error. And that's just a, a lot of uh, investment into uh, rods. Um, so. Hmm. Yeah, it would be because those custom rods are generally more expensive than 
uh, off the shelf rod. Yeah. <laughs> and you just said they're collecting dust. I mean, how do you how do you? I mean, obviously, if they're collecting dust, you haven't sold them. But is that would that be a tough sell? Yeah, custom rods. Once once you go custom, you're really not going to sell them. Now, that's kind of the risk of the whole deal. And what I've done with some musky rods I don't like, um, you know, they're going to kind of transition to my uh, trolling rods. And I know you and I talked about I'm going to get a little bit of the trolling with your new rail system and the rod holders. So it's kind of nice to have them because they'll make a great trolling rod. I just don't like casting them as much. I'm, so I kind of try to repurpose them. Um, but, yeah, reselling, the resale market on customs is um, pretty bad. Hmm. Yeah, that's until you start liking trolling, and then you're going to get eight musky trolling rods all custom, custom. built. I know. It's going to happen. I'm already, <laughs> already know it's coming. <laughs> that, that, that's the reason that we cut, that Andy was saying about extending that rod handle. I mean, the only reason I was cutting it down is you know, I have some eight, six premieres that I, that, you know, that are just between my trolling rods, and I've been using them in Project Act, so... It, it's it's you know doing that jerk motion back and forth and uh, you know I cut down that long handle I took four inches off of it it just left stuff moving around in the boat mm-hmm. you know because you're you're picking it up and you're reeling the fish and, you know you're not you're you know I'm not never going to be casting with those bolts but that's why I cut four you know four inches out of those rods uh, just because they're strictly trolling poles. Mm-hmm. Uh, what uh, what boat are you fishing out of, Steve? Me, it's just a fourteen foot crest liner with a console. And you have you have rails on that? No, not yet. I'm taking an Andy shop. He's going to put a few on because um, I got like a two inch gun. I showed him pictures. We're kind of in the planning My stages, words. and you know how it is. It's going to go into his pool barn. I hope. Yeah. The uh, work is magic. And... <laughs> yeah, the the old Ranger rails. Those those went to a PMTT with me. <laughs> oh, nice. So they have a little uh, history tool. They do. They're they're custom, but it's a pretty easy sale this time. It's it's custom. Yeah, it's custom. But uh, all right, let's kind of get back on to what we were going to talk about. Uh, you know, before the podcast started, uh, we we were talking. What do we want to talk about? And Steve did. Well, Todd Todd has a fishing report. Todd, you want to talk about that, or just get right to Steve? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just go real quick. I mean, we've been fishing a little bit at. at uh, climate tuning i've done you know three or four trips up there now uh uh we're just up last friday heading back out to fish in the next couple days here but uh yeah i mean the report around here is is, i mean the the water temps are a little crazy it was about five weeks ago with my first trip up there and the water temps in the shallows were touching about 50 degrees uh well this past friday they were at like 53 uh, you know, so they, they, I know they went down because after that first time we went is when we had the big snowstorm. Craig said we had a week, it was 20 degrees around here. And, uh, so I don't know what the fish are doing. I mean, we, we had action every time we went. We did mostly casting. I pulled mostly here this last time. I had just guys that wanted to cast, uh, before this and, you know, uh, nothing real great happening, but I don't know to say if they're, you know, I saw some pictures of them taking the eggs out of the fish up at Chautauqua Lake. So, I, you know, that the water temp should have them still in the spawn mode, but, you know, that's been the same water temp now for, like, six weeks. <laughs> so, it, it's been a while. We we picked up a fish the other day trolling on a, on a little wily lure, one of Dale's small four-inch plugs. 
But uh, it was a 46-degree day. It was rainy. It was miserable. It wasn't the best of conditions. I didn't, I did, there wasn't a lot of people out, and I didn't see anybody getting walleyes or anything. But uh, we'll see. At that time of year, you know, you deal with that stuff. I don't know what stage these fish are, are in around here. <laughs> they have to be a little bit screwed up. Yeah, they're just plugging along, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some really, uh, you know, just perusing Facebook. There's been some really big fish caught that that oh, yeah. I, I've seen. You know, a lot of them are coming down Virginia, West Virginia, you know, uh, Tennessee, out of Kentucky. You know, it, I guess you know this is my second year doing Facebook, and I'm actually kind of into it more than I'd like to be, and that's probably why I'm seeing all those fish photos, <laughs> but. Well, yeah, I mean, weren't we're, we're the water tanks like 65 down there, down in Kentucky when we were down there last weekend? Yeah, in, in places. Remember when we would come around that point, there was about an 8-degree oh, yeah. difference, but it was yeah. it was in the 60s, and then, uh, and it might have even been in the upper 60s, and then when we yeah. rounded that bend, I mean, it might it was in the, you know, high, high 50s and stuff. Hmm. Nice. So, gear man. Yeah. Last time we really talked was at the Muskie Max, what was that, early March? Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, why don't, why, don't, why don't you take the story from there? You, you were at the show on Sunday. Right, right. So we, uh, my uncle and I went down to the show, you know, met up with you guys and, and talked a little bit. And, and I guess I'll parlay the show into the fishing trip. I know you guys mentioned it uh, the next podcast after the show, so I'm going to go back a little bit, but... Uh, and again, I'm going to, in telling this story for all the listeners, this, should, this is kind of the epitome of the value of going to these shows because it kind of was a culmination of all things into one, excuse me, that, you know, led to, to my fishing trip. And, and like I said, when we went there, uh, we kind of went around, talked to you guys for a little bit, and then we went to the figure eight booth where you guys had uh, Brandon on two weeks before, so... I was checking out his equipment and ended up getting a nice long sleeve shirt. And then around the corner, there was a guy that my uncle actually booked the trip with last year. And it was canceled, so we got to talking to him. And he happened to have an opening that Tuesday, two days later after the, the show. So in talking with him, you know, he said, hey, the water temps are in your mid to upper 30s. You know, fish are relatively sluggish. But, you know, we could probably get some to move. And, and so that you know what kind of conditions you're getting into. And then we went to hear one of the seminars and John Anderson talked a little bit about his telemetry study, and which I find fascinating. Being no, a, how, how did he... Telemetry. Yeah. Was it like Miss Cleo? Remember Miss Cleo? I think she, yeah, she, call me now. Call me now, the tarot cards. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> telemetry, I mean, what did he hook up, like, electrodes to this thing? Well, they they put um, they put and I, you know I, they put some radio frequency transducers on the fish, and they go around and kind of monitor the fish, and uh, they can kind of chart where they're at and where their movements are, and and uh, like I said, every time I hear him talk, I'm mesmerized because it's so fascinating. They did a year's worth of data on fish all different times. That's and, cool. So, and and what what did they find out? Well, the one thing, and, and I could you know. That could be a whole podcast in itself of what some of the data he picked up. But the one thing I found most telling was he said the muskie they 
followed spent two-thirds of their time belly to the ground, relatively dormant. Okay, so, you know, the strike zone he mentioned, you know, the, your, the fish you pick up in the shallows or off the weed edges are a little more aggressive, they'll chase. But the rest of that time, their bellies are to the ground in the weeds or deeper uh, drop-offs or wherever it may be, and their strike zone's down to like two feet. You're talking belly to the ground, not directionally. You're talk. You're saying that these their bellies are actually on the ground, just for clarity. What do you? They're, they're just laying on the bottom. They're laying on the bottom. Okay. Bellies on the yeah, belly in, the, in in the shallows or in the deep. Yeah, they're just yeah, they're just laying, laying there, laying there. So and far. they got eyes on their head, on top of their head. They do. Looking up. Right. Well, but the, the, again, the funny thing with this, and part of their evidence of where these fish are based on uh, the tracking, not only the position, but they'll see, you know, the lampreys will stick to the fish in his area, okay? So they'll, they can tell the fish of where they're laying and how long they're on their bellies of the ground based on the lamprey marks. I mean, I guess they're so dormant that they just let these lampreys start sucking on them, you know? Mm. But from that information, so that gets me thinking. So two-thirds of the time... Your fish are belly to the ground. I'm about to fish in two days with water temps in the 30s, which is going to further promote them to be inactive. So I thought, I need a lure that I could just drag on the ground all day long. How am I going to do that without hanging up? So that's right after the show, uh, the seminar, I beeline to the man who seems to have, uh, you know, a million ideas on things, Andy. <laughs> Me. Said, all right, Andy, I need a bait. With his pants I'm on the ground. Concentrating on one of the swimmers because another thing, part of what John Anderson said is in some of their studies too on why they fish for these uh, more dormant type of fish, the big trigger they found were the curly tails, kind of like on a bulldog or a paddle tail, which your swimmer has. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'm going with the paddle tail. Uh, how can we modify this so it swims kind of upright? I'm not going to snag the bottom. So we talked about a few uh, suggestions. One of which is what I ended up doing is I took the lead hook on the top, kept it there, kind of made like a fluorocarbon mini uh, leash to a secondary hook that I impaled on the back as well. So there's kind of two hooks on the back, and the belly, there's nothing. So the day of the fishing trip comes, you know, we head up. It's on a local river, so we head up to a couple spots, and you can kind of see the fish on the grass. I mean, you, you and you see them kind of laying off the drop-off, and, and it was pretty uh, uh, clear these were big fish, but they weren't moving much. And, and we tried all types of lures in the morning. Uh, you know, I tried some of the more traditional faster bait, kind of hopping stuff, and I said, forget it. I'm going to my plan. I put the swimmer on, and I just dragged the belly to the ground the rest of the day. Well, about halfway through the day, I cast it out. Again, I'm, I'm dragging anybody who's bad fish. It's like just... Low drag in a Carolina rig. I, mean, I just kind of looked real, let it sit, real, let it sit, and then I kind of felt that hit, set the hook. Here come a fish about mid 40s, fat, still pregnant. I mean, good looking fish. You know, took some photos, put it back. Two casts later, I cast it out there, and I'm slowly dragging it in. Now I'm talking to the guide. I have the rod of my uh, hand and, and my right hand, which I, I'm real right-handed, is off the reel. I'm not even reeling the thing in because I'm explaining something, and I feel like a tick on my line. Now, anybody who bass fishes instinctively knows what that tick is. So it was kind of like I, I was in my bass mode. I wasn't sitting there thinking, you know, I could have a 50-incher on here. I'm thinking, oh, it's a, a fish picked it up. So I 
I turned to the guy and said, hold on, I got one. I wound down, just like I'm winding down on a jig, and I reared back and said, uh-oh. And it's a, another fish, you know, we net it. It was a low 40s, a little smaller fish, but still, you know, nice to catch. And this guy was laughing because he's like, he just nonchalantly just said, oh, oh hold on, there's one on the line. Kind of like, again, like I said, I, I went to bass mode, you know. He's like, that could have been a 50 inch. And you had like the calm to you, and you, you know. But <laughs> it, it, it goes back to just, so, these fish are just not active. So, I mean, like, just, you, you were sitting there so talking. And you're just like, you probably held up one finger, excuse me for one minute. <laughs> yeah. Pardon, sir. I actually said, oh, Pardon, there he sir. is. I think it was my direct expression, because the rest of the day, the, the guy kept saying, oh, there he is, like, <laughs> like it's nothing, you know? Yeah, but so. w w when you set the hook, did you do that, you know, how those bass guys just make it, like, so over jaw, the top? Jaw dropping. Oh, dude, it was all in. I mean, I wound down. It was the first time I ever wound down on a musk. I wound down the slack, well, tipping the rod tip down, and I reared back and rocked the boat. I mean, it was, like I said, I felt like I was punching weeds for bass, and I felt the tick, because it kind of, you know, it's instinctual. What would have, that story would have been, I mean, I, I'm, you know, obviously catching the fish is great, but if that wasn't a fish, and you reeled down, and you set the hook, and you kind of did like, it was a, it was a, the snag or nothing yeah. just completely whiffing <laughs> you felt the tick that's where you know we're talking about all these custom rods and whatnot that's you it you never think sensitivity when it comes to a muskie it's usually just bam it's it's right there you know that thing is hitting that bait and then gear man steve from gear manville is feeling <laughs> ticks and yeah. It's insane. Right. And the funny thing was, I have an old G Loomis rod, and they're, they're about the most sensitive musky rods you'll find. Well, they kind of replaced them with the new Black Series. This is the Maroon Series, and I thought, I've never caught a musky on this one rod. So that's why I took it. But that thing's as sensitive as heck. When you drag that uh, swim bait across the bottom, you can tell when you hit like a stump. You can tell if you're in silt. You can tell if it's rocks. I mean, it's. How was so your. How was you your, your. You know, putting those hooks on the back like that, was that. Did you snag up at all? No. Um, the only, I snagged up once because I felt the tree, and I tried hopping it over the tree, and I got caught in a limb. But we just kind of reversed the boat and pulled it out. No, no big deal, you know. But it, it, And the funny thing is I, I did that with all three models of the, the swimmer. And it was the six-inch based on the placement that really stayed upright, fell nice. Uh, so I kind of just stuck with that one all day because I really liked the action of it in the fall and, and everything else. So, But I, I didn't hang, I mean, I dragged that sucker, and it was a black and white one, and that white belly was almost brown from all the silt, just dragging it all day. Awesome. The orca. The orca. <laughs> I think I still got one of them. I think. But, yeah, okay, so... You have another story of some pictures that you sent me because now Gearmanville has a whole bunch of rods, can't leave stuff alone, kind of sounds like me. What did you do next that you had to hold your breath to do? <laughs> well, in my talking to this guy, okay, we got onto obscure techniques because, you know, again, dragging the bottom of the lake in 30 foot of water, 20 foot of water for musky just isn't really a common technique. Yeah. I'd beat my head against the wall. <laughs> oh, it was, it, 
And that's what the guy said to me. He said, you know, I don't know anybody, really, that would fish this way. I mean, it would take five minutes for a cast. I mean, that's just how it was. You throw, and, but I'm so used to it. To me, it's like I fish for bass this way. You know, I grab hair jigs for smallmouth. To me, it was not, I actually enjoyed it. To me, I, I'm going to explore this technique more often. But, but from this kind of talk of unconventional ways to catch muskie, we got into the Alabama rig. And he said, hey, there's a video out there of guys who were using Alabama rig vertical jigging type of deal. Yeah, it well, was un- uncut angling did it. on. Uh, yeah, there you go. So, it was, yeah. so these guys kind of went through a process on how to make these Alabama rigs. So I have a few Alabama rigs for bass, and they're fun as heck to fish for bass. And when a bass hits those, they smash it. So I thought, you know, man, i I got to try this because, you know, between my infrequent fishing trips, I virtual fish, which is just me mentally thinking, boy, what what's the next step? What could I tinker with? What can I modify? So I, I used that recipe on cut angling, got a lot of the um, supplies they suggest, and I kind of added my own to, to kind of modify it. And I bought, like, a melting pot to melt the uh, lead. lead. Mm-hmm. Got some lead ingots that my buddy Scott gave me, and I kind of wired these up and, and bought all the components, and... <laughs> You know, they, they scare you to death with this lead poisoning, so I'm a bit of a sissy, so I told Andy, I said, I'm, I'm melting lead out in the driveway, and I'm holding my breath while I'm pouring it into this mold, you know? And I, I suggested you do it in the kitchen with cookware. Yeah, he said, what are you doing? You could just do that on the stovetop with one of your uh, Calphalon pots. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that would go over well with my wife. Yeah. So, yeah, I poured up uh, a three-arm model, a four-arm model, and a five-arm model. Uh, of these Alabama rigs, and I sent uh, Andy some pictures with the uh, six-inch swimmers on it. He has his daughters holding a coat hanger with this thing off of it. It's like 36 inches tall. Yeah, it's freaking sweet. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm gonna use. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put that that photo up on uh, Instagram if for everybody to see. I might need to take and make that the cover art for this one. Yeah. <laughs> so you got so you got a school effect going on with that that bad boy. Well, yeah, I mean, if you get if you get if you get snagged up with that thing, that's going to be like losing one of those hundred dollar baits. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know. <laughs> then you could hold your breath again and go swimming. Now, how many how many hooks can you have on that Alabama rig? Uh, the state of Pennsylvania, as of uh, I think two years ago, it's unlimited. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can have fifty million hooks in PA. Yeah, unlimited. I mean, they. Yeah, I have a Bass Alabama rig that has like I don't know nine hooks on it with seventeen baits. I mean, it's great. Um, but the state of New York is fifteen hook points total. So, in essence, if I were to use the five armor, I'd have to use one treble each on the swimmers. Hmm. Um, and, th- and then the state of Tennessee, I, I, man, I think there are three baits. Um, I don't know how many per bait. So I kind of, you know, I don't fish Tennessee, but, you know, some other of these uh, states have these kind of laws. So if I happen to go to them, I have a model for every one. <laughs> I've been lobbying the, the Fish Commission. I haven't told you guys this, but I think it should be a single barbless hook in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Miss one. Big, yeah, that would be great. But the hook has to be straight. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag purist life over here. <laughs> You're bringing back spearing, huh? <laughs> you just gotta. Hopefully, you can thread the needle through his mouth. <laughs> we had a. Uh, I had a. I can't remember who it was. I think it was. Uh, 
I had some people that I took out were telling me a story uh, that they were throwing, they, they rigged up an Alabama rig up there to talk with. It was Ed. They got it. I, th- well, I think it was Ed, Ed and, uh, Ed and Ray. And uh, they, <laughs> they caught the fish, like 36 or 38 inches, they brought it in, they put it in that <laughs> there was hooks sticking all through the fish. <laughs> You're gonna get, you're gonna experience that nightmare when you start using those, Steve. I, you, I probably will. Use them. That thing you that picture that I saw that is a trolling rig. That's not a casting rig. Gee. I'm gonna try to cast it. <laughs> I, I wanna. I wanna. How are you how gonna? How are you gonna cast? Do you have? Did you have a custom rod built just for that heavy three foot? Well, no. Actually, I got a rod. It's it's an off the shelf rod from. Uh, uh, tackle Industries. They kind of made an error on their uh, rod, so that they, when they made them, they made them extra stout. So James, the owner of the company, uh, kind of put out there, "Anybody want one?" Well, I, I've talked to James a few times. I said, "You sign me up, buddy," and he sent me one. It's like a telephone pole, but this thing will cast two pounders. Uh, that that five arm rig weighs about seventeen ounces. I'm I'm pretty certain I can cast it with that. It, Wait, it weighs nice. 17 ounces, just just the lead? <laughs> no, no, the lead's only, uh, the lead head, I just took a socket and filled it up. It's, I think that itself is about uh, four, five ounces, and I think each one of your swimmers is, what, three? Okay, okay. So, I was going to say, I'm like, you're going to be really close. I, it looked like, to me, you had like eight ounces of lead in the front of that No, thing. no, it's not, because the socket didn't weigh much, and there really wasn't much in it, just, you know. So uh, that would be a, that would be a great one to use on their K run, huh, man? Yeah, vertical jigging, or no? It's yeah. it would be great for snags. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Catfish. God, I could I could catch pallet wood. I could make fifty pallet walls with with how much that Alabama could rig could pull up. Where are you gonna, Steve? Where are you gonna uh, debut this rig at? Uh, probably Chautauqua. That's where I mostly like to fish. So uh, that's probably going to be a main voyage. Either that or the lake by uh, Andy, which I go to a lot as well. You can't name that one, but yeah, you can name Chautauqua. It's, it's, it's so yeah, it's so big, and the pressure is going to ruin it. <laughs> you, hit right, you, you, you hit the right day at Chautauqua, you might get a couple on at one time on that thing. Mm-hmm. Be Five muskies, <laughs> one rod. <laughs> well, and like you said, here's what I suspect is going to happen, okay? And I do this out on novelty because, again, you know, you get bored because you can't fish much, so you just start thinking of goofy stuff. I'll probably cast it, and, and the first fish I catch, I'm going to be so mortified when it has, like, ten hooks and tails to try. Yeah. Then I said, I'm done with this, and I'll put it away, I'm sure. You just have to prove a point that it's going to work. Exactly. That's pretty much... Oh, yeah. You spend the money on the equipment or the supplies, and you're out there holding your breath, pouring lead. You know, you got to, you got to at least get one hero shot with that thing, and, and then I'll, you know, it'll go into the museum with the rest of the stuff. Um, yeah, I could make a hell of a chandelier or something. Yeah, I, I oh, hope yeah. I hope the hero shot is him holding the the, the top of the Alabama rig, and then a, a horizontal muskie there that's you. being hung from all these hooks. <laughs> You could use that or re- retire it for like the baby crib or something like that. You yeah, know, kids baby like to crib. Play with stuff that stuff that floats above them. The mobile. 
What about, uh, so you said 15 points at New York, yeah? Yeah. So he did his research. I would, I would probably, I'd probably just rig it up and just cut those other hooks that you can't use. Because you're going to unsplit ring them. Well, I would, I would probably just keep them, keep them in, just cut the points off. Or at least well, I would, I, or you, you know, so how many, how many swimmers are on each? Five? Well, I got a, like a three arm model. So if you look at the five arm model, I could put five swimmers on. Okay, so you can so. put five swimmers on. You got, you have two trebles on each swimmer. That's three points of treble, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Now, now, does it 30, count 30 if points. one of the points on each treble is, is stuck in is, the bait? Is it stuck in the bait? I think that yeah, counts. New York doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. So that'll be a plate. Yeah. So you have to cut that off, but now you're down to not having the bar, keeping it in place, and so. Hmm. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm just going to put one in each and, and put it off the top. Like I, I'm kind of take both hooks off, add my little leash that I put on the one, and then have the one kind of mid back. Mm hmm. And, and that, you know, what, what also should help is if you start skimming the bottom, usually when you, with an A-rig, you hit debris or tree, the, the bottom wires and the bottom of your bait kind of go first. So if there's no hooks down there, I'm hoping that'll kind of save me some snag as well. Mm -hmm. And if a muskie hits this thing, anything like a bass, you know, that'd be plenty of hooks because they just, they deep throat that bait with full authority. Yeah. I'd like to see how much weed you can pull up. Oh, buddy, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... They're going to hire me to be that weed removal. They'll get rid of those rubber students. Send me through that yeah. all day. There you go. You might be able to collect so many weeds that there's a muskie stuck in them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to clean, like, my, my grandmother's pond. We, we had, like, this, like, grass cutter. It, was like a, it looked like a Y and had a rope on it, and it had razors on two of, like, the, ver you know, the, the Ys. And you throw it out there, and you bring it in, and it cut all the weeds on the bottom. And then you throw out this rake, and you rake them in. And we'd get up on shore, and we would like look through the weeds to mm. see what we could see. Mm. We were bringing in frogs, turtles, minnows. <laughs> He's going to be bringing in, you know, snapping turtles, muskies, paddlefish, <laughs> I gar. I that bring in like twenty-eight pounds of weed to sift it through. If there's a thirty-five incher, you know. Yeah, <laughs> sailboats, man, bunch of wileys on it. That is awesome. Alabama, Look, yeah, right? it, it's a total experiment. Uh, I have a feeling I'll have you know petitioners follow me around the boat once they see what kind of rig I'm throwing. Anyway, it, you know, <laughs> goes back to one of your controversial topics. I mean, that you know, I'm sure, and the bass world is controversial with just a single hook on each one. I mean, <laughs> I'm swinging a whole uh, snare of treble. So, well, if you start pulling up too many weeds, I'm going to start. I'm going to start giving you hell for it, because I like those things there. <laughs> I'll start in open water and get a feel for it. There you go. Yeah. Troll it deep. Really deep. <laughs> like, 50 foot. Drag the belly on it. And then bring that, you know, make that fish puff up like a swim bladder on a Bottom. perch. <laughs> <laughs> wait, till the, wait till the water temps are above 80 degrees. <laughs> Oh, gosh, yeah, it has to be a dog day, 90, mm -hmm. Africa hot mm -hmm. in August. Africa hot. <laughs> Just 50 foot of water, mm -hmm. bring them up rapidly with an A-rig and 20 hooks in them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wear a glove, because that's bad. Throw them on a bump board while you slam it around, hold them vertical. 
But, you know, if he starts flopping on you, just start punching him. Yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> sedate him, right? This, you and know, then release him upside down. <laughs> you know how, like, you you know, my dad taught me when I was younger how to subdue a night crawler so you could put a hook through him as you kind of cup your hand and you, you kind of take the other hand, cup and clap, and then they... Oh, I never knew that. Did Am I the only one that knew that here? That works? Yeah. That's new to me. That it, gets him... That, that gets him... It's... Yeah, it... It takes a it rings the life out of them. But no, yeah, it kills them. I don't know if it kills them, but it's you know how would you like it if you were just wham? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. That's, hmm. And uh, you know, you just put the fear of God in them, and then they stop. They wiggle a little bit, but you can jam a hook through them. So it it's kind of cruel when you think about <laughs> how, yeah. how you're doing it. But nice. Um. So, anyways. The the story kind of you know both of those stories revolve around home modification on tackle, and I kind of think that you know that's underutilized or at least not taught. I wouldn't say underutilized. It would be not talked about as much, you know. And and what I you know, and I'm not picking on any one publication or another, but I would have liked to see that when I first got into musky fishing to know that you can do this stuff, tinker around with the baits you got. And, you know, I, I would almost relate it to with the price that baits are now, it might actually be worth it for to put put your own spin on this stuff. But then on the other hand, if you're buying an expensive bait, last thing you want to do is take out the drill yeah. and, and just start hacking and whacking. Mm. But, you know, Vance, you ever... I mean, the, the, the furthest I get is with those little cranks, and I just try and tune them. That's as much as I get. I never really have, I mean, I've seen it across the industry with trolling. There, you know, people put tails on them, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trail like a, like a bucktail behind it almost, or a big spoon, or, or the something. Burger King rig. Burger King rig, something like that. I've, I've never, I've never really gotten into that. You never, never played too much? Never, never played. With, with 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 the baits. No, yeah, Todd, you've had to have played with baits. Oh yeah, I mean we used to play around making stuff. I mean, geez, we we, we made uh, Paul Paul Feck and I made uh, uh, made some baits long time. You know, jerk baits. We were playing around and we made them out of these two by four. And we had bumper chrome paint, like silver. And he, you know, we sprayed them down and. You know, put lead in them and stuff. I mean, basically, we were just making our own little bait. You know, it catch fish. But you know, that's where you see a lot. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much you see it with the trolling guys, but you do. And I've seen a lot of musky hunter, hunter articles about, uh, you know, a lot of times the guys are adding, adding, you know, just, just simply adding weight to suics and bobbies and, you know, a lot of those. Uh, and the reef hog uh, fix. Yeah, yeah, the reef hog, you know. And then, I mean, everybody knows now they came out with that screw-in weight system. Some baits are sold with that thing right on them. You know, you could take it off if you want to uh, uh, not get a seat. But, uh, you know, that's where you saw a lot of guys playing with stuff. We used to put, you know, take a hook and, you know, put a spinner on the back of a thing and, uh, you could get on the back of a crankbait, see if that would do something. Or, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I think there's probably more, more people that, that, that do that with their casting baits than their, uh, than their uh, trolling baits. I mean, all, even going down to these weighted leaders people are selling, uh, 
it's you know, not a bait modification, but it, but you're modifying what that's going to be doing. Mm-hmm. By, add, by adding weight to the leader, you know. I you know, I love it when when I hear people, you know, they'll they'll, and I saw this more several years ago. Than, than I have, you know, in recent. I don't know if it's because I'm not paying attention as much. But I, I've said it in, in previous podcasts, I hate the word custom because it's been so diluted with with just nonsense. And, and, and I think it takes away from something that's truly custom. And uh, What's truly custom? Truly custom. Uh, I, I'll just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, Vance, you make stuff out of wood. Yeah. You, you, someone will come to you and say, I want this. Mm-hmm. There's not another one out there. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and made it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and when I hear, you know, yes, that was built to your, your specs. That was customized for you. Mm-hmm. When I hear someone say, I put a blade in front of a bulldog. I cu- I, it's a custom bulldog mm-hmm. caught on a... I've heard people claim that on a homemade bait. Well, no, no. No, that, that's that's modified, but mm-hmm. they putting a blade in front of a a bulldog. That's I mean, is it custom? I mean, I got you. Kind of, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. To me, it, it kind of robs it from you know everything. Hop on Craigslist and look at the boat section, and you look at all those POSs on there that you just like. You're no way you're getting that much money for it. It's worth one eighth that much. Mm-hmm. And anything that isn't factory done is always custom. Mm-hmm. Check out the custom rims. No, you just spray painted them and you didn't even wipe off the bearing dust. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. You know, check out my custom fishing deck. No, you just threw down a sheet of plywood yeah. and you and you nailed it to the floor. <laughs> you know, it but I got you. It, it's <laughs> you know, but like we were talking earlier, like with with, with uh, gear man there in a custom rod and he was explaining i like these eyelets i like the grip this way i like that to me there's an art form that goes into making something custom Mm -hmm. um i've you know taking a sharpie to a bulldog is not a custom paint job Mm -hmm. you you may have customized it with a marker i don't know i didn't put it in the same way i mean yes is it, it it is customizing it to yourself but i don't know it there should be levels Mm-hmm. They, they, I should change the English language. Tier one is anybody could do it, going up to like a tier five. <laughs> you know, so I, I agree. I agree. But you know, I I've messed around. You know, putting blades on stuff and adding weight, and you know, to me, I always you know, and I'm not going to name name the the person that made this jerk bait, but it it was it, it floated up too fast, and I started. I, I tried to be very discreet about how I put the weight in. Mm-hmm. And to me, yeah, I wasn't doing anything earth-shattering. But if I could make it look like I didn't add any weight, but I did, mm-hmm. that was that was the, the goal that I was after. Now, some people don't care. Mm-hmm. They just want to make it heavier. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so, but I did that and I caught fish and, you know, I, I felt good. But I, that, that probably is also one of the stepping stones of really making making your own baits you mm-hmm. know figuring all this stuff out but um we used to have hooks and uh like a treble that, that fit into this little mold uh and it, so 
we would have these weighted hooks. Uh, it, basically, like there would be like a little bell standard. Now, you're talking about a snagging hook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We would have those and, uh, like, take maybe an old head and vamp. And uh, so, so it would get down a little deeper and give it a little more action. I would take the front hook off and I would put one of those hooks on there. And, it, you know, it, it, it made a lot of difference. You're talking about a little, you know, those baits are only four inches long. <laughs> they probably weigh an ounce. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you add a, yeah, basically like a snagging hook, what, what you would call a snagging hook. And uh, we, we would have some of these old guys around town that, that you know, made baits and stuff. Ed Laviano used to make baits that had that on, on it, front hook. Rather than putting the weight in the, uh, in the body of the lure, the front hook on the lure, he had made the one called the Muskie Special. I have some down in my basement. And, I mean, we used to catch a ton of fish on that thing, but the front hook, was basically one of those little snag rigs, you know, one of those little snag hooks. And it was, you know, on with the little hook hangers. And, it, you know, made it sit with the nose down a little bit. And those things were, were very rad action. Uh, I don't I don't see baits not like that anymore. But, uh, yeah, we used to do that with lures, with lures, you know, just replace them with those, you know, you know, just replace a hook with, a, you know, with, with some weight on it. And uh, You ever take solder and wrap it, it around a hook shank? That you, you ever take solder and wrap it around a hook shank to so you can adjust the weight? I I, I have but but I have seen they they used to sell like lead strips. Okay. That you can wrap yeah yeah so yeah yeah essentially it was soldered like very small thin lead strips that you could like wrap around something. Mm-hmm. It, you, you know you could wrap that around. We used to do, you know, play around with that walleye fishing and stuff, you know. You could quickly add a little bit of weight if it got real windy or something. <laughs> Wrap that thing around your line or <laughs> rather than having to retie. Now, you know, Gearman, would you touch lead solder? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> the funny <laughs> thing is, when I was younger, I used to all the time. Now they scare you with all this lead paint and Everything led, so I've become a sissy over the years. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I used to. But that's what's wrong with me today, you know. <laughs> you know I, I've heard stories, and I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was my father, but it might have been some of his friends. When they were younger, they used to play with this uh, this metal uh, called mercury. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> my grandmother had a ball of it, and every time I'd go over to her house, we'd drop it on the kitchen table <laughs> and play with it. And you're <laughs> worried like, about... Lead fumes in your driveway. I'm telling you, buddy. I got. I became a sissy over the years. Because I, I could just see you, like, I don't know, in just some soccer shorts and flip flops, holding your breath, looking away, with a little Burnsomatic torch, a little propane soldering <laughs> torch, and instead of just you know throwing it on the kitchen. Man, <laughs> I, I went right over the corner of the pole barn and bur- and uh, you know melted some lead right the after- other day. I. The other day you did too. <laughs> no gloves, no nothing, no mask. Now Gear Man Steve's got me second guessing. I've been feeling a little different lately. I'm telling you. Well, what's going to happen is, Vance, when you get older, now Vance, that twitches because of your boat. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> it's going to go away. It's going to go. It's all going to be good. Uh. Well, and, and I'll tell you though, once the twitching subsides and you get your boat straightened out, you. 
you'll notice as you get older, you start forgetting everything. So now I'm thinking, crap, was this the mercury I was playing with? Is that, is that what's contributing to my memory loss or what? So, you know. Was this the mercury <laughs> ball that we would drop on the table? That, you know, coming back from that trip, Vance had a twitch and a toothache. Uh, I did. where the toothache came from. It was. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I, 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 I just kind of caught on to this. You were playing with a ball of mercury on the kitchen table where you would eat. Yeah. That's a double whammy right there. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's why I can't remember anything anymore. I'm assuming that was it. <laughs> I don't know why my grandma had this. I mean, geez, this was like late 70s, early 80s. You know, she had this container. With, it was about a marble-sized ball of mercury, and... I'd go over there and I'd drop it on the kitchen table and it would kind of spread out in all these little ones and you'd push them together. Man, it was the coolest thing on earth. Man, I want to play with Mercury. Oh, it's awesome. I'm telling you. I'd let you play with some, but I don't have any. (laughs) Sounds awesome. Yeah. She probably said, yeah, go go ahead after it. It wore wore you out, kept you busy, occupied, didn't have to bug her. (laughs) It was everything. Play play with this Mercury. How come my hands are a different color and they feel weird? <laughs> Just keep playing. Stop bugging me. Here's a sandwich. Here. Yeah. yeah. Wipe off the kitchen table. <laughs> Throw on a piece of bread. Here you go. Just scooch that off to the side and make prep a sandwich right there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, those are the good old days. I never got to play. I mean, my dad had a mercury switch, but it was it was in a glass container with two, you know, wire contacts there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I never I never got to throw it around where I ate. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know what you were missing. Apparently, I didn't. No. So where? What's your next fishing adventure, Steve? Oh man, um, probably. Spring smallmouth. I transition into the bass season. My muskie season probably won't uh, resume until uh, uh, June, July range. After so. catching two on like almost back-to-back casts, you're just giving up. No, no. You know, and we've explained. I've explained this before. My uh, uh, obsession with all fish, and I was fortunate enough to have a work trip in Montana a few weeks ago and got into some nice trout fly fishing. So. You're not going to spread the wealth here. <laughs> well, see, i got to ask you a question because we invited you on the podcast that week, and you sent me a photo of you look to be in a more dangerous situation than melting lead. <laughs> yeah, 6,000 feet underground. <laughs> now, that's a pretty deep hole. Wow. Yeah, it was a platinum mine, so we were doing some uh, uh, training exercises with the, the uh, company out there, and and, uh, yeah, we only were up to 6,000 feet. They, they go down to 10,000 feet where it gets about 110 degrees. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting world, the mining world. So uh, and that was my first time in, in a mine that deep. So, yeah. So, so Andy's like, well, would you be able to do the podcast? I said, I don't know if I get reception 6,000 feet deep. <laughs> 6,000 wow. feet. Now, how, now, you know, I know this isn't anything related to fishing. How do they know there's platinum a mile under the ground? Depth finder. Well. Yeah. HDS. Yeah. 10. Touch, Gen touch 3. Yeah. Touch screen. Touch screen. Well, and, and the funny thing is these platinum veins are so small. Okay. Uh, and so what essentially happened is, and not to get into heavy uh, 
geology because I, I don't quite understand it all. But you know, as the deposits through ages of time uh, happen, your earth crust kind of you know layers on top. So the time and pressure kind of form um, these kind of platinum veins. But then when the Rocky Mountains kind of formed, it pushed it up. So they're almost vertical. So what they do is, uh, you know, some faces it, it's either outcrops or uh, someone finds on the surface, and then you just start going in the side of a mountain chasing a vein. So a lot of the times you're, uh, where it kind of comes out, you can go straight into the mountain, but because of the height of the mountain, it doesn't take long to get pretty, quote-unquote, deep underground. So uh, what they'll do is they'll kind of find this vein, um, and then they'll, they'll follow it up and down, and, and nowadays it's pretty sophisticated how they do it for, you know, these gold mines or platinum mines or any of these precious metal mines. Uh, a lot of them are mining vertical. Did uh, did they have? Did they check your pockets when you left? <laughs> no, no, because it, I mean, it's such you, gee whiz. You could you could walk out with tons of rock and, and not even get a uh, you know a hundredth of an ounce. So they they process a lot of it and do a lot of processing to get a minimal amount. So hmm. it's a whole it's a whole thing. It's it's fascinating. How, how come it's so sophisticated here, but you can go into Africa and there's some eight-year-old with no shoes pulling up blood diamonds and stuff like that? <laughs> well, Conflict minerals. That's the labor laws are a little different. <laughs> the labor laws. Yeah, I mean, 100 years ago, that's what we did here, but they were like eight-year-old kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that, that we've changed a lot over the years. Yeah. So, okay, so you're out there in Montana and you were... You weren't obviously musky fishing if, from the photo that I got from you. You were out there chasing some stockies. Oh no, these are all wild. The state of Montana doesn't stock anything. It's all natural reproduction. Mm. So it's um, yeah, it was. Any listener it crosses over to the fly fishing world, uh, Montana, you won't beat an experience like that. Where'd you fish? What area? Uh. East of, or west of Bozeman, we did, and a little bit around Columbus and Nye. Uh, there was a, a small stream down below the mine. And, you know, the funny thing is, you come out of the mine, and you get your evenings, kind of. you got about two or three hours of daylight. And, you know, a lot of these guys on west fish and stuff. So we're talking about, hey, we're going to drop over the hill and do some fishing. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, hey, just be careful, because we had a mountain lion sighting the other day, and uh, the grizzlies are coming out. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> so at that point, I mean, I could not even concentrate. You're always every every time you hear like a, a bird land on a tree or a crack of a branch, you're you're thinking you're seeing a you know 600 pound bear with their cubs breathing down your neck. So, it, well, uh, you're you're catching their dinner. Mm-hmm. The pressure's on. You've got to catch their dinner or your dinner. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I saw them out there. I did. I did a hunting trip out in Montana and. Uh, you know, the, the day we were leaving, you know, we were waiting for the guy to bring the horses. We rode the horse up the mountain, and uh, you know, there was a little stream there. We were hiking around. We had, like, two hours. And, uh, you know, I was just walking up and down this stream. I actually had my my binoculars out, and I would get to these holes and look, and it was trout all through. So every every little every little hole you came to, uh, you know, there's a lot of those bull trout, which were protected then. I mean, you know, they looked like brown trout to me, but that's, just, you know, that's what everyone was telling me. They were tons of trout, and oh, yeah. just every little every little stream around there that we saw. Yeah, it's amazing. It's all wild. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you're a trout fisherman. That's heaven right there. 
Now, what if you're a musky fisherman? What is that? That's called an unlimited bait. Good place to catch bait, yeah. Yeah, pretty much where you catch it. <laughs> so, yeah, there's the, the, the musky train ends, uh, what, in Minnesota? I think it's a little further or west than that. But, there's uh, some Dakotas, and then there's some stock reservoirs out, out west in the, in the southwest. Yeah, they're getting some really big tigers out there. Yeah, I think even in the state of Washington. And, yeah, I mean, th those tigers they're getting don't even look like fish. They're just like fat rolls on their fins. and mm -hmm. Oh, they're just beautiful, unbelievable colors. They're, they're crazy. I know there's some in Colorado. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they did a uh, pro tournament event out there in one of those lakes at one time. I think. I'm like, I can't remember for sure. I know they talked about it. They that would be a like far point. drive. Yeah, no, you, you, I know what it was. There was a guy from from that area that, that that was on the trail one time. Okay. And he he did the trail. That he was from. He was catching his tigers out there in Colorado. Hmm. hmm. That'd be neat, you know. I, I don't know how. You know, I, I think about you know like like virtual fishing trips. Would I want to be on a lake that's pressured but gives up fish regularly? Or would I want a lake that is not pressured pretty much, you know, all to yourself? I mean, you know, wake up, open the door of your cabin, and there's a lake, X amount of acres, and you own the whole thing, and there's a very low density. Mm. What would you rather have? Would you rather be fighting off the jet skis, banging fish, or... Nothing else around you, and you know, they're in there, but they're few and far between. Man, I know what I'd pick in a heartbeat. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, option B. I mean, just get me away from people again. That's part of the, the serenity of fly fishing for me. You get in the middle of nowhere, you're by yourself, you know, you, you got no one around. Man, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just have to approach them. I mean, you know, we do this all the time, even around here. You know, uh, when I head up to Canada, you know, occasionally we go to places where I've, I've gone in the past, haven't been there a long time, but, you know, occasionally you go somewhere, you go to the Georgian Bay or something, and, I mean, you can go up there, and it's just endless. You're not going to catch fish like you catch when you go to Lake St. Clair or Chautauqua. You're, you know, you're not going to get those numbers like that, but you, know, you just have to go with a different mental attitude, and, uh, and as long as you're prepared to put some time in. You know, a lot of the guys fish, fishing at St. Lawrence, now, granted, the St. Lawrence wouldn't be real serene fishing, but, uh, you know, they're going there, they're going for their week trip, hoping to get a fish or two. But, what could it be? Uh, Alright, let's, I'm going to throw a curve on this one. <laughs> okay, so you, you got your busy lake, good, good, you know, good catch ratio. Mm -hmm. You have the lake all to yourself. No one else can put a boat in it. No one else can put a line in it. But it's in the middle of Central Park. And everyone's watching you. <laughs> That's fine with me. You still want you still want the all-by-yourself lake? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just don't want anybody else on the water. <laughs> 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 I mean, we do that all the time at Chautauqua. There's a cabin every... There's, there's like three lots for sale around the lake that's 17 miles long. Yeah, because it's filled. It's totally filled up. But we also get to fish out there during the week in the middle of the summer sometimes, and I don't see a musky boat till noon. 
Sometimes <laughs> not all day, you know. So you know that that that. But you know, yeah, and then the fall that. too. The fall too. It, it it dies off up there, you know. It's a holiday to holiday. I mean, it it's pretty banging. But once the fall comes around, there's not many boats out. And there's nothing like that. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to like September. <laughs> Screw this Already. summer stuff. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> We got lots of good fishing before that. If, if if I could induce myself into a coma, I would for like the next four months. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Who would make these baits? That can't happen. <laughs> Who's going to help me with boat problems? <laughs> you'll, you'll, Certainly you'll, not Cabela's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you gave your scenarios. I know there's a lake you guys like to fish. And I hate that lake with a passion. I mean, I could not, I fished it like twice. And being in the one bay with a moron and his jet ski doing three circles around me, I left, but yeah. I can't, I'll never fish this place again. <laughs> Good fishing, you know, you get the hit. No, I just wouldn't do it. I can't. That All lake right? would be incredible if it just had a boat launch and nothing built on the shores. If, if there was no build up around it. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's pristine. Except for the jet skis, the pontoons, the ski boats. Yeah. This is yeah, the zoo. I can't forget that. Man, I... And, you know, people who have, like, road rage, I'm relatively calm in the car. You put me in a boat with some idiot in a jet ski or some guy with his, uh, uh, you know, $80,000 wakeboard boat spitting out a three-footer like some guy surfing off the back as they go by. And playing and techno music. Yeah, I mean, that... Hey, that, that kind of every, everybody's in White Oak, please. Yeah, but you got to understand, if you ever talk to those guys, it's, it's understandable. They're all practicing for a tournament. They are. <laughs> <laughs> They're all professionals, huh? Just about all of them. Yeah, so it's kind of like when I go fishing, I'm looking for the serenity. I want to get away. You know, and I, again, I go to Erie. I mean, Erie in the spring is a, is a total zoo. Okay, so... Like Todd said, you, you got a certain mentality going into it. I got to uh, ask you this: When is Erie not a zoo? Um, you got the yeah. spring that the, the you know the spring steelhead and now Lakers that you know they're catching on. Then you then you get into the smallmouth and then the summer walleye and perch, and then it goes into the fall where the steelhead are, are going. And it's just there's always something. I, I love the zoo. It wasn't the zoo when I went with Ed there. Six weeks ago, when it was twenty-eight degrees that morning, we were the only people on the water. <laughs> well, you proved me wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it, you know, we, we kind of over the years you get to know spots that are more on the main lake and off the beach path. Um, so you you kind of find a little solitude, but it's amazing in a place like Erie. I don't know how it happens, but you can catch a fish without a boat near you. As soon as you bring that fish to the surface, you take your picture, whatever, you release it, and you look up, and there's four boats around you. I don't know where they come from, what happens. It's just like, I know you guys described last week at the tournament where someone sees you catch a fish or hook a fish, and next thing you know, they're closing in. Well, Erie's like famous for that. In bulldog hell. <laughs> we'd catch we'd catch a we'd catch a fish and or get get a rip and then all of a sudden these big taily things were just crashing right next to the gunnels. I'm like, help me, help me. no. 
you know, I, I haven't really gone perch jerking all that much, but there are a couple times, you know, the perch pack isn't catching nothing, and I break off and I go drop anchor somewhere else. I don't get it. 50 boats follow you. You have no idea where you're going in this lake. Mm. It's a lake that's just endless almost. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, this guy's breaking from the herd. Better follow him. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, now the pressure's on. You're like, well, I got to... I gotta find these perch, <laughs> which you can <laughs> you can see them on the screen. They're just not eating. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I attribute that, I guess, when I do it, and we've done that experiment too. We pick a spot in the middle of no man's land and just kind of wait, like pretending we're fishing, and you'll start getting a few boats migrate towards you. And I I can only assume these are a lot of guys coming from out of town, and they really, I mean, to learn a lake like the Great Lakes, you got to put a lot of time in. So these guys come up for a week out of West Virginia, wherever it is, for, you know, their vacation. They want to go to an instant spot, so they start, I guess, tagging on to people. And and I could see that happening, like, musky fishing at, like, a St. Clair, because, you know, the few times I was on there, just out of nowhere, people just follow the guys, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, well, I, I mean, had... I, I was up this year in mid-June, mid, 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 mid to late June. And uh, yeah, the first day we were out, it was real rough. Uh, but we went out of like the south uh, southeast corner there, and uh, there wasn't anybody out there because the wind was blowing sort of from our way, so we could get out where we were staying. But that next day, I mean, you talk about a lake that size. You're talking about St. Clair. I'm talking about St. Clair. That okay. was the most musky boats I've ever ever seen in, in one area. I mean, it, you could just look around and see 70 boats. Oh, yeah. I mean, guys trolling, guys throwing, guys, you know, the, the guys who cast and their, the, the, the big bulldogs and people are trolling circles around them. And it was like, it, it was it was crazy. Mm-hmm. For a lake that size you go to, and uh, I mean, you had to like anticipate the turns you're going to make. Uh, I mean, it was kind of like when you're in those big schools of walleye at Lake Erie. You, know. you get in the trolling lanes. If you break your trolling lane, you people will yell you at you. You might hook someone. Uh, your planer board might smash into some other guy's planer board. Oh yeah, uh, it, it's just unbelievable. The you know how many people. And it's just, but it's a you know it's, a, it's an unbelievable uh, credit how many fish are there too. They yeah, <laughs> yeah. just catching fish, but uh, it got really, you know it gets crowded. And, you know, and when we went up there, it was, and there's a very famous spot, um, everybody lines up, and you get in a line. Yeah. Because it's a drift along this wall, you, you kind of go through a drift, and there's a guy 20 feet behind you, cast into the wall, a guy 20 feet ahead of you, cast into the wall, you kind of get to the end, you motor back up and get in line. It's like you're, you're drifting the Niagara River for kings, you know, you get in your line, and you keep going around and around, and it, it was insane, but you still saw fish. I mean, it, yeah. You know, not a ton of people were catching that day, but you still have the follows. I'm thinking, what on earth did this fish see in my lure after it saw 500 other ones just pass its nose? You know, it's just kind of amazing, like you said. It's just a testament to the volume. No, you're missing the point here, Steve. You customized it with a Sharpie. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the the first time I ever saw that was when we went to uh, the Chippewa Flowage. You know, the famous Chippewa flowage, and there were some famous, I don't remember the names of them, but there were some famous reefs and bars and stuff out there, and uh, that's what it was. 
And I, I'd never seen fishing like that before. I'd never seen, I'd never been anywhere where you're like pull up and, okay, let that guy get through and then the next guy will go through. Of course, that, you know, Dale and I didn't, I, I you know, we didn't really hit those spots. It was just, it, but that, that's what it was. People lined up and they just fish across those spots all day long. You know, we don't get the pressure. You know, a lot of people talk about our areas. Oh, we get pressure, you get pressure. You get some of those big, big name places out there. You really get to see pressure. And you, when you go to St. Clair, you get to see pressure. Like I said, that's the most, uh, you know, sometimes the most intense fishing I've seen has been on a place like St. Clair where you're out there where you can hardly be sure. But you can see boats. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I remember, you know, I told the story last year on the podcast. Uh, my last fishing trip up up in New York, I was up there. There was another boat, but it was quite a bit of ways away. And I caught a fish, and the boat's a little bit closer. I catch another one. It's right there. You know, it just picks up motors. I get my third one, and there's another boat out of nowhere. <laughs> and I'm just... And I said, I, I, left, I left the spot mm-hmm. because I didn't because like the pressure. Two other boats. Because of two yeah. other boats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. so I and I moved, and you know, I probably could have stayed and kept catching fish, but instead I said, you know what, I'd rather catch nothing and be by myself mm-hmm. than catch fish in front of people. Mm-hmm. But there so are times. The question of what choice you would have chosen in your scenario mm-hmm. opposed to us. <laughs> well, I probably would have got the the. Uh, the uh, the the one that you know low density in the middle of nowhere, and I would have had my boat right there next to the cabin, and I would have been making baits to fill orders, <laughs> looking out every once in a while. It doesn't. It so you're just saying, saying it wouldn't have mattered. On shore, bank, bank. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have a path, a rim around the whole lake. <laughs> I, I actually I actually think Andy just doesn't get a choice. He doesn't get a pick because he'd have to be making baits. Yeah, that's and right. Project X's and rod holders and. Fixing boats and stuff, so Andy doesn't get the answer. Yeah, I, I, I get to have that, that ankle cuff with the chain. <laughs> and I can just barely reach to look out the window with like <laughs> half of an eye. <laughs> uh, now that, and that, I guess, to, to uh, kind of tie back into what we were talking about, you, you kind of brought up a good point. We, we'll, we'll temper on how we use the word custom versus modification, but it does make you think now, if you did start modifying some baits, would that make a difference in a place like St. Clair, where they see 10 million bulldogs all day, or Medusas, or, you know, even a, a place that's not as um, populated or pressured as, like, Chautauqua? I mean, you get your fair share, but you're not waiting in line. You know, do those modified baits uh, give them something different? So, again, that you know, that's what I'm hoping to find out with this goofy A-rig. I mean, I can't believe many people are throwing that up there. Yeah, but, yeah. you know. I mean that you know that's going to be, you know that that's just going to be if if the fish can feel one paddle tail, now it feels five times as many. Yeah, you know I you know I don't know because obviously there there there's a frequency to a crankbait, and but most crankbaits are probably within a range of frequency. I mean you can't get one that's doing, you know, ten thousand hertz and another one that's doing two. They're probably all fitting into some kind of range. I don't know if a fish can tell it apart. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how much credit to give to a, a, a top shelf predator that pretty much is stimulus response. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I could be, you know, dumbing them down to where they're just robots sitting there, you know, programmed to react. But I don't know. They might. They they might. Well, I wonder too. You know, I'm trying to transfer the behavior of a bass onto a muskie. You know, bass will kind of seek the schooling fish and kind of bust through them. Sometimes a muskie seems like a lazier creature. Maybe they won't deal with that. And they just say, well, we're going to look for the isolated fish that's wounded off to the left here versus busting through a school of active fish. I don't know. I wouldn't so. call a muskie lazy to a bass. I would call it smarter in that it works smarter, not harder. Well, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, you know. I don't know how you can measure the intelligence of a fish. <laughs> but. But yeah, you you know you're right. It's you know the. I I don't. I guess I really don't know if, you know, putting, you know, a certain color in a certain spot is going to make make the fish say, "I never haven't seen this before." When you know I've never grabbed two perches that ever looked exactly the same. Right. Well, but you know, and, and I guess color is one thing, but I'm talking like just an overall different presentation per se like i said i i see this as relatively outside of the box that not many guys are doing will it work i don't know and like i said the the first fish i catch if i catch one with it i'll probably be so mortified with where the hooks are going (laughs) that i'll just put it away yeah probably what will happen is there'll be one on the very top skin lip and the other hooks are in each eye and in the gills (laughs) (laughs) oh jeez lord i'd give up Musky fishing at that, I'd be so petrified <laughs> seeing that scene. But, you know, and again, another thing, too, and, and I didn't tell this part of the story. So after fishing with that guide and kind of this modification of Slow Dragon, he did a similar modification to a bulldog in third cast of the day. He said, dragging on the bottom like I was, he had a fish, and he sent me a picture of like a 47-incher. You know, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, you know, there's, there's a different presentation that just a lot of guys aren't doing. And, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's getting on the water a lot more than I am, obviously, and he's he's kind of taking the torch with that technique and having success. So, I mean, that's another thing I'm going to uh, try is just belly to the ground and, and you know, try different uh, uh, retrieves with it and just see if you can start tapping into the dormant fish, you know? Yeah, that's kind of like, you know, if you're just dragging it on the ground, that kind of reminds me of, like, that Mark Arena when he, when he would do some seminars and the other guys at Red October... They would just get in the river there and let let the baits like hit the bottom and they'd crank it up once or twice and just kind of drift along letting them bounce. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's similar. I mean, I know you're casting and, you know, there, yeah. there's, you know, there's a di- it's a little bit different, but it's essentially the same. The bait's doing very similar. Yeah. Uh, well, the funny thing, too, the day I went, um, you know, I tried that. I, I cast it out and I do the hops and mm-hmm. then I do... Uh, you know, you do a million different retrieves trying to key into that bottom. But the two fish I caught on, I'm telling you, it was a straight, slow drag. There was no hopping. That it was, and again, the one, it was just sitting there. Just It was probably sitting three or four seconds before he picked it up. So it was a really passive type of retrieve. I mean, a lot of guys, like, like we mentioned before, would find painful. But, I mean, I didn't mind it. It was almost like the hops were too aggressive because we didn't get any reactions out of that. You know, so, I, my one bass friend used to call that, that you know, that pulling out a jig and, and doing that, 
you know, it was coined going to the office because it was work. <laughs> so essentially, you went to the office. You were going to the office. <laughs> And yeah, but I love that office. I could do that all day, so I'm hoping it's uh, something I could repeat. <laughs> but then I, I, when I do stuff like that, because that's how I used to work the swim, you know, the swim baits in the in the winter fish is I'd cast it out, let it hit bottom, and then I would just give it a quick little yank to pop it off the bottom and a slow reel to where it just barely yeah. touch every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And I think about the fish I caught doing that. Now, granted, I was in a lot smaller water. What are the chances of that actually getting close enough to a fish to have a fish eat it? And then, then you start thinking about even more. You, you just said you were trying the hops and, and doing all these other retrieves. What were the chances that that was in front of a fish when you were doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like it's, it's a crazy, how do you even pattern these? If, if you've got two fish, bang, bang. And then nothing else. I mean, is it was it the dragging on the bottom, or was it you uh, hit the lottery twice in a week? Uh, so, well, and I had two more hits doing it that I oh okay I didn't bring back to the boat, but uh, you know, but you're right. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's with bass, you get instant results pretty much. I mean, within five minutes, you know whether you, what you're doing is somewhat effective because usually you're fishing in areas where there's you know fifty fish. Muskies, yeah, good point. Maybe how on earth you know was it the dragging that triggered them versus the hopping? Because I could have been hopping for four hours and never got near a fish, and my next cast was a drag, and I happened to be by a fish. And you know, I yeah, I struggle with that's one thing I struggle with musky fishing because I change baits like crazy. So I'll have six rods rigged up and ten casts with one and ten casts with the other, and it's you're right. It's to the point where maybe I got to just pick one lure. I mean, it's hard to, to see what they're turning on to. Um, so who knows? That's just a, another challenge to the whole uh, musky fishing game. Something that I've noticed, when I fish with Todd, he changes baits a lot. <laughs> it's usually after yeah. he catches a fish, he takes that bait off to put another one on. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to cut a hook, I'm not going to throw... Who in the world would really throw a bait in a cut hook? It's probably an idiot. Yeah. Oh, wait, Andy did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I did that for a long time with my one glider. <laughs> and I'd catch fish, and there was a time I had like two or three barbs missing. You're <laughs> <laughs> following the rules. I hey, mean, it, all, this, so, all this stuff we're talking about, look at the wacky worm rig. Now, for, you know, for bass fishing, when, when I was a kid or something, like you would take a rubber worm and hook it through, the, it through middle. the middle and put it on a bobber or something and throw it out there. Yep. I mean, you never caught anything, but I mean, but they turned that into a, a million-dollar tournament-winning thing. Mm-hmm. Wacky style. But, yeah, that wacky style. I mean, it's, it's the silliest thing you ever saw, but I mean, when I was a kid, I always thought it was the silliest thing you ever saw. Uh but essentially, you're doing the same thing as when you're going with the bobber. If you had it at the right depth, just sitting there, barely bouncing around, and these guys won millions of dollars doing it. <laughs> I've never ever rigged a worm wacky before. Rubber worm. I never did either. I, I I don't think I could. I don't think I could do it because to <laughs> me, you always have to thread it down it. Yeah, And, exactly. and reel it in. Exactly. That that's that's improper to me. <laughs> 
Yeah. But then again, I also don't bass fish, so it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> I probably will become a pretty good bluegill angler here in a couple years. Oh, yeah, you got, you got this push, yeah. push button is rigged and ready to go. I would not let my daughter get a Snoopy or a Barbie rod or a Mickey Mouse. We went one step up higher than that. It's a blue spin casting <laughs> that, and it's right over there, Vance. If you want to grab it, look at that fishing line. Oh, man. The, is that braid? No. Well, yeah, it's it's 65-pound spider wire. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case. This, there, look at <laughs> There is so many tangles. Party, I don't want to go for your 65-pound braid. There are so many tangles in this line. Okay, and I have to explain this. <laughs> Todd will know what I'm talking about when you get a looping. It's Andy, and it's Andy trying to teach his kids how to use <laughs> it's a spin casting. It's different. You got to push the button. Oh my god! It, you got to push the button. Oh, okay, okay. It's a spin casting, but you know, it's it's like a nine dollar Walmart that came with line on it. And Vance is just looking at this stuff. What happens is when you have a almost four year old who just wants to keep cranking it, she'll stand in my boat for an hour, and. Vance, if you if you look look into that tub of swimmers right there, do you, do you see all those? Oh yeah. Okay, all the way in the back corner there. There is fishing line going between all of them. I see that. She made me a necklace out of Aww. two super seniors, a swimmer, and two seniors, and that's eighty pound uh, suffix right there. It almost looks like an Alabama rig. Almost. <laughs> now here's what I want to see, Annie. I want to see a picture of you taking a selfie with that around your neck. That should go on your Facebook or Instagram account. Yeah, there you go. Vance should really Instagram this, this fishing rod. What happens with these cheap rods, and I, I you know, haven't lived this life in a long time with the very inexpensive gear, is that when you loosen the drag so your daughter or son can just sit there and have the crank the handle, right, it actually spins the line. And it I'm looking at, here's what, we, here's what we got. We have a split grip. Split grip. Shakespeare... Reverb synced up with the Shakespeare reverb. Oh, you, you got to get reel. the matching combo. That. Listen to that bad boy. <laughs> you it all in, split grip and all, huh? Now it's now it's even more messed up because Man. it's got a split grip on it. It does. It has a split grip. A split grip push button. I can't believe. Where was this when I was a kid? I, you know, I remember. My first rod and reel, it had like the gold thread wrapping around the the eyelets. And it was, I thought I was hot stuff. I was taking spin casting reels off one rod and putting on another to customize my rigs. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I caught a pike on the one. Wow, this is a mess. Well, it doesn't help that you just made it worse. I, un I undid the top. <laughs> Don't cross thread that beast. I don't have time to fix that reel like all these other ones of yours. <laughs> I may have broken I'm parlay it. a spin cast reel into musky fishing. There you go. My uncle, my uncle who takes me musky fishing, we go musky fishing a lot. Well, he had a buddy who he tried getting into musky fishing. Well, no way he'd do a bait caster. So he found online like a Zebco 888 or something. Some huge closed face, like, you know, push-button reel that he mounted on a musky rod. And I'm telling you, third cast in, I, I don't know if the gear stripped or what. But the, <laughs> first, 
<laughs> the whole reel was rendered useless with the bird's nest, and it was just, yeah. So <laughs> well, there's, there's about five bird's nests on this on this side. Uh, and a cross-threaded cap. On this reverb. Mm. Hey, Put some stickers on it and you make it custom. I could. Hey, she picked it out. It's blue. Yeah. She's allowed she to do that. She picked that out. She picked it out. Man. I have pictures of her, me and her at Walmart. She was looking at the pinks and the blues and the reds. And I'm really glad she picked blue because my boy can have it when she outgrows it. If it lasts. I'll make it last. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be dropping this, you know, the, the 10 spot on these rods and reels all the time. A line for that stuff's expensive. <laughs> you know? And doing machine and parts for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see the reel going to junk, but that's a nice rod. I didn't, you know, I didn't want her to have a short rod, you know, them, them small. Well, you, got her, you got her the split grip and everything. Man. That thing's ready to bomb cast. Oh, yeah. One day she'll be ready to use it. We were going to take her trout fishing, and I realized I didn't want to get in a fist fight shoulder. <laughs> on the first day of trout. Shoulder to shoulder. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. It's worse than when the steelhead are coming into the creeks. Not that if you've listened to the last time Gear Man was on, we talked about, I'm not exactly the accomplished steelhead fisherman, but mm. I've seen the photos, mm. and I hear the complaints on forums. <laughs> but... Yeah. Now here's the question, Andy. What age do you take your daughter on her first musky fishing trip? The age that I can keep her in the boat and have her interested. I'll, I could probably get her to reel in a fish, but she she's just not she's not there yet to 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 hang with it. So, Todd, when when was your daughter able to be able to stick it out long enough? We went uh, when she was five. Her, her mom and I went on a troll. We were just so. I was on a really good bite too, so it made, that made it easier. But I let her pick her lures. Got all the base out. You know, got some different box stuff. It's okay, pick one up here. We were we were running blues and <laughs> we were running a lot of the lures that I don't run a lot. And uh, but she did pick the Goldie Baker. She liked that gold and smart one. Uh, put put four lines out and. We got hooked up, she, and and, and uh, mom, her, her uh, she held the pole, and then Kara reeled. Of course, it came in, and you know I netted the fish, and she looked over, and uh, and uh, you know the fish was thrashing all around. It rolled, rolled, you know, you know, just what muskies do. And, and, and she said, "Oh, daddy, he's afraid." <laughs> <laughs> and I said. No, I think he's pissed, honey. <laughs> but, uh, and that's when Todd received a note from class the next yeah. Monday when his daughter used the word We're pissed. <laughs> I got a fish that was pissed. <laughs> oh, gosh. What about you, Gear Man? When are you going to take your, your daughters out? Uh, well, I, I, you know... They've already done the bluegill fishing, and my, my eldest boy, she, she's a trooper. She'll sit there for hours. Just as, it, it's one of those deals that if I'm fishing, she'll just want to kind of fish with me, which I kind of like, you know. So you kind of try to treasure that. I don't know if uh, uh, I'm going to take the musky fishing yet. Maybe after you put the rails on and I get a trolling set up, maybe I'll do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but she, she enjoys it. The, so I'm trying to, 
think trying of, to instill some outdoor uh, nature in the girls because you know I, I just I, I need someone to go fishing with you know and when you can take a kid with you it makes it a much better excuse to the wife you know well I'm taking the girls you know so you, oh yeah I'm trying to work that in you took the words out of my mouth yeah you know yeah. I uh, now my new thing is I'm taking my kids into the you know, the different, you know, we have a field stream here. We also have another store called the Boot Box, which has a lot of taxidermy in it. And I can burn an hour to two hours just having her pretend to hunt the mounts. <laughs> and it's only a matter of time I'll teach her fish and then uh, hopefully graduate her out of this rod because I can just see nothing but headaches for me. <laughs> but... Yeah, she needs to use it first, and not. I will say, I, I, I yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you guys, but I, I will say that I was, I was very. Uh, so down here in Pennsylvania, every time I took my daughter out, we went to some of these local lakes. We bought for a couple hours, crappy fish or bluegill or whatever, and uh, we're always on the on the on the small motor, the the nine nine, and uh, and we would troll for muskies a little bit, take a boat ride and troll. And uh, so the first time I got her up to, up to Chautauqua, when I could run the big motor, I'm like, okay, we're going to have fun. So I fired up the big motor, we go out, and I was doing circles, and, you know, I was just playing around, and she was, she was, you know, trying to entertain her a little bit. She'd never been in a boat going fast like that. And uh, I'd, I'd drive her out for maybe two minutes, two or three minutes, and, and I can hear her, she's going, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I was like, what? You, you know, you're afraid, what's wrong, you know, what's going on? She's like, when are we going to slow down and try to catch a muskie? <laughs> and I was like, oh, she, 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 she's a fisher girl. She, she's, in, she's ready to go here. <laughs> you're wasting time going fast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the odd man out here. How, how, many, how many muskies have the pugs reeled in? None. None. <laughs> they have a problem with birds. 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 Okay, tell I'll me how them. birds are. I take them out on, on the boat, and, uh, you know, they see these seagulls, like, way up in the air. They look like almost like a, they'll see the tiniest bird up there go, going around. Like an airplane, it almost mm -hmm. looks like. It's so high up. And they go bonkers. They, like, jump off. I, I have to get them, like, these really expensive life vests to put, put on this damn boat for those things. Now, <laughs> I, I got a question. I have to ask this. Now, I'm going to preference this with... I have a life jacket for my dog, too. Okay. Do pugs know how to swim naturally? Mine do. Okay. I got them in the water early. Okay, but they just don't normally know. I do, I do, not, think, I do not think that they're great swimmers. Because I, I want to think that like a, a lab, you could take a lab puppy that literally just popped out, throw it in the water, and it's already swimming. God, I took the, the first one I had. I was insane and young and dumb. I, I took her down the lower yawk. Okay. And it's class three whitewater. And you just said, here you go, I'll meet you at the bottom? I put her on the raft with me. Oh, okay. And we, we went down. I mean, it, but okay. I, had, I had them in the water young. They, they, they swim well. Okay, so you still have the life vests in case you capsize. Yeah. And? I don't think I can get them to reel one in. Ever. Ever. <laughs> you got to work on that. Yeah. Well, what you need to do, Vance, you got to get Andy to work on type of, some type of reel that's mechanically driven for when the dog like presses a pedal. Oh, that's a good idea. Andy, you got yeah. time for that? Well, I could probably do it. And that kind of stems into something like halfway serious. 
when I see all these things on the forums about what's the best reel for double tens and this and that, it's never going to end. How come no one's brought up those electric reels for saltwater? Hmm. How hard could that be? So you're going to hit a button? You hit a button, it reels in. Just hold on. Just hold on. Just hold on. Or even just put it in a rod holder. Cast it, set it in the rod holder, hit engage, go. Yeah, pick it up for the figure eight. Yeah. I, I haven't heard anyone, because you can get them, you know, reasonably priced. Yeah. Under four digits. <laughs> but people are buying ones that you have to actually still hold on to the handle for 500 Yeah. But... I've seen modifications on those, those uh, those bucktails and whatnot, like the blades. Okay. Cup them a little bit better so they're not pulling so much. They come in. You yeah. Know. You could also uh, modify with a ton of weight. You could pour your own in the driveway. You could. You could. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, you gotta be really thinking about that automatic reel. <laughs> I mean, because I think they use it like kite fishing and all that other stuff. And even like the deep sea, I remember, I, I, I don't know why I remember this, but it was, the article was an in-fisherman and it was King's The Last Frontier. And they were talking about extreme depth downriggers in Lake Michigan. And they were using those electric reels. I mean, we're talking at like 900 feet deep yeah. downrigger fishing for these King's. And they did some study on them that a king can go from like this very bottom depth to the surface, hundreds and hundreds of feet in, in, in like a minute. Wow. So like the, if you play them out correctly, um, you're not going to hurt them. They're releasable. Hmm. Obviously, if you just hit go yeah, and, and you drag them up or you just floor the boat and just let them come up to the top like a sheep head. So you think you can, you can like pulsate those reels? I'm sure you could on off, on off. Yeah. Um, but you know, something that they had to worry about with that deep down rigging. I don't know why I remember this article and I'm telling you guys about it was if you have a boat that's eight foot wide and you have 900 feet of downrigger, they're not really spread all that far apart. And if you don't hit the currents, right, the downrigger balls will wrap up into each other and you'll bring them up. Wow. <laughs> and it's just a tangled mess of cable. Wow. I, I don't know why that article is probably ten or twelve yeah, years 900, old. Yeah, nine hundred feet down. Who so, knows what that current's doing? Exactly, but you know. So, anyways, that's how I remembered the electric fishing reels. Yeah, was because they were using them on those rigs because that's a long way to crank. Yeah. Good call. Electric there, yeah. fishing. I solved it. Electric. Well, you know, the, the beauty of something like that, all you need is like a Jim Sark to do one show on that, and they'd probably go off the shelves. Oh my gosh, I'm just going to pair it up with Project X. I'll have a special plug-in for it so it has its own thing. Yeah. A, a switch on it. Fish hits Project X, you just flip a switch and it reels itself in. There it is. And then I'm just, yeah. I'll have a trip, you know, you just pull a pull a wire, the net falls in the water. There it is. Yeah, you just have a foot pedal, you step on it. <laughs> saying, saying that just scoops the fish up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how am I going to unhook it? How can we do it so we don't even have to touch the fish? You're just going to be yeah, just, co commercially just, fishing muskies. It's one of them like shaker things, you know, that just shake. You just shake a little stuff. <laughs> but an uh, uh, electronically powered boga. Maybe. Or you have a hook that'll dissolve in water in like five minutes. Yeah. So you just got to keep putting hooks on. 
You drag the fish long enough, it comes unhooked. There you go. You gotta make totally it. trying to automate the whole musky process. I gotta go commercial on this. Mm-hmm. We gotta just process muskies here. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love man. it. But Shakespeare Reverb, check them out. <laughs> check out the Shakespeare Reverb. At your local Walmart. At your local Walmart. The blue one. They come with a clicker. That's the drag. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Is that going to be a new sponsor of the show? <laughs> yeah. Check out our latest sponsor. I recommend the split grip model. Now, Steve, would your rod maker get me this Shakespeare Reverb 5'6", medium action, and, and I, I kind of want it wrapped in diamondback rattlesnake skin? He could do it, but it's going to be a lot more than the 10 bucks you paid for the day. <laughs> <laughs> You probably could. You could probably could uh, save a buck or two just getting that reverb blank, you know, rather than just buying that rod. Probably. Go straight to Shakespeare. Yeah, they're gonna probably say you need to order fifty thousand, or we're not even talk to you. Yeah. It's amazing they can make a rod real for like ten bucks. I mean, geez, that's, so that's like a thirty-five cent blank. I guess you got. More than likely, yeah. I remember making my own fishing poles. You guys ever do that? I mean, why would you need to with a with a reverb out there? <laughs> because I didn't have a reverb when I was a kid. Check out this. This has a split grip. <laughs> I know my next purchase. Don't even look at this one. It's not for sale. You'll pass it on the way home. I'm, I'm going to stop. You should. Yeah. Todd, did you ever make your own fishing rod when you were younger? No. The closest I ever did was we used to use some bamboo poles. It was kind of fun. Bamboo poles. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we used to break sticks off trees and tie lines to them, but geez, that's, yeah, I mean, that's nothing like rolling graphite if that's what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, because, you know, when I was six, I made my own dowel, and I, you know, I, I would... I'd roll this up. I, I I don't know where I got all the carbon fiber and the resin from, but, you know, I was out there changing tapers. and oh, No, yeah. it was essentially any piece of wood that I could tie. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my first ones, I think I had yarn. Yarn? Yeah, yarn. I probably did the stick and, stick and line thing. And did you try to catch a duck with it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Petitioning your show. Uh, that, that was that was probably on a Shakespeare. It wasn't a reverb, was it? It was not. It's probably a proverb. I couldn't afford that at the time. <laughs> the reverb. I've never even looked at the name of this thing. It's on it like seven times with stickers. Those aren't stickers. That's custom silk screen lasered in. It's true. <laughs> All right. Hour and 45. We went longer than we were wanting to. This podcast brought to you by... Do you want to wrap it up, Vance? Well, I'm going to throw in... Okay, Vance is going to do his own. <laughs> hey, Gearman, hit up your uh, your rod builder again. Oh, yeah, uh, SH Fishing Sticks. Uh, Scott Hovenick makes, like I said, incredible rods. So if you want to get into something custom and get your neon green, he does that. So anything you want, uh, he'll accommodate. My understanding is, Steve, you're putting his kids through college and affording his summer home. 
Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have his number one client. I'll say that. Oh, jeez. Then, uh, obviously, Fatty Musky Products, fattyzmusky.com. Check us out on Facebook, Fatty Musky Products. Todd? Muddy Creek Fishing Guide, ncfishandguides.com. Check us out. we got all kinds of trips we can take you on, plus sacred uh, rods. Best on Earth. And uh, Vance? Outside of the Ver. Team Rhino's, uh, Rhino's yeah. going to have some exclusive colors. Exclusive. I love that exclusive word. Not, yeah. not, not, not custom. Synonym. They're, they're exclusive. That's right. Can't say custom about around Andy. It's like blood to a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> just will not have it. Nice. That's just it. It dilutes it, and it makes me sad from the true people that are doing custom work. Mm-hmm. But okay, are you gonna? Are you gonna? I'm not gonna. I'm, I mean, you know, you, 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 you guys you, know you, where I stand. Those are both really nice rods you guys are talking about. But I, I've just you're sold on the reverb. All about the verb. Verb. Okay. Awesome. All right. Just let everyone know that Vance is picking on my three, almost four-year-old daughter's fishing rod. <laughs> She's not even here to defend it. So, um, all right. Till next time, guys. Good luck fishing. Thanks for listening.